Did you finish it? It went good, but you know what I forgot to do? Record. Record the video. I'm just like, ah, I hate myself. Eventually, I was able to speak Spanish and English fluently, which led to the discovery of both Spanish and English. Spanglish. Episode 2, ILS Podcast, Mexican Knox, Judicato Mexicano, and to my right, we got the one and only Bodacious, but not Barbecue, the legendary, but not, I don't know where I'm going with this. Is Bodacious Barbecue just a Texas thing? I think or it's like, other states know about I think, I think it's only, I only, I only know about the one in Tyler. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll just assume it's a Texas thing, which, you know, I'm mostly from Texas, so it is still applies. Yeah. Yeah. My name, by the way. Hi. Hello. Uh, is Vero Fuerte back in full effect, you guys? We got something good for you today, so we're super hyped. First things first, uh, before we get into our uh, main segment of this podcast, Veronica, you want to hit them with the usual, the good old Latinx birthdays? Yeah. Yeah. So Latinx birthdays for this last week, human beings. We have September 16th. Happy birthday to Mark Anthony. So happy, happy birthday, Marky Mark. And, you know, we might be kind of going at a very fast pace right now. And the only reason we're doing that is because we got a very special guest right now that we're going to interview. Uh, actually, as we're recording this, last week we kind of plugged in the interview because we had uh, pre-recorded it. But this time... What? It's no Why secret. Why do they need to know all It's no of this. secret. Oh this, this, my this, gosh. So much excessive information. This Are is you all. To give, is this, this is not VH1 behind the scenes, Mexicano. This is podcast magic. People know this ain't no secret. But anyway, we're doing this right right now. We're going to be recording her as we record this. So I'm going to toss it over to Veronica. And this is the uh, interview we got with the up and coming artist XB Valentine. Very dope. Big things uh, coming up for her. So uh, yeah, take it away, Veto. All right, you guys, you already know what it is, back in full effect, but with an extra third on our side today, we are uh, blessed and super excited, super hyped to bring you um, the not, the not, I, I, don't, I don't even know what I want to say there because I'm so tongue-tied because I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> we, we came across her in this uh, previous, I guess, Centro Popular Festival here yeah. in your local, uh, in local Fort Worth. She is a baddie. She is a sweetheart. She, I was just finishing telling Mexicano that she is so adorable. I just want to like smother her in topatio and like eat her in the sandwich and uh yeah basically my new best friend so uh rapper extraordinaire <laughs> and uh sooner blow up xb valentine welcome uh what's up thank y'all for having me by the way and i appreciate all the nice things you had to say it means a lot <laughs> yeah um and just so everybody's you know knows our bases ricardo veronica mm-hmm. uh i don't know uh yeah we probably should have done the intro before yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 but just so you know, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's fine, you know, yeah. whatever. She yeah. she called me Mexicano only because that's my last name. Oh shit, that's dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. So uh, speaking of names, actually, we were wondering how did you come up with the name XB Valentine? <laughs> it's funny. I feel like a lot of people think it's like this crazy story, but um, 
So my birthday is on Valentine's Day, and my first name is Bianca, and everyone used to call me B um, just growing up. So I just put the B and the Valentine together, and for the longest, that's what I was like called, just B Valentine without the X. And I have finally changed my Instagram handle. I was trying to change it to B Valentine, but someone else already had it, mm. so I put the X in front. And everyone kept calling me X B Valentine, so I was uh, like, "That's not really what I was supposed to be named." But people hey, kept thinking the X was a part of it, so it worked. And then now everyone just refers to me as X B. So I find that interesting. Just- I really find it interesting, like how you know with social media and everything, how people really latch onto like your username. You know how like if you're like if, 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 you, if you're like popping on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and people meet you in real life, they'll probably it's like more than likely. They may refer to you as just your Instagram name because that's all you they yeah, know you yeah, by. Yeah, because they don't know you. Your real name. See, <laughs> yeah. we didn't know that your first name was Bianca, so it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah did, exactly. <laughs> did you have any other names uh, before that uh, that you kind of like no, were messing around with? No, I always went by B Valentine to be honest, and then just uh, XB came a little bit later on. But yeah, it was always those two. You grew up in a small town like us, right? We were just talking about it, Georgetown, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah, what was yeah. that like? Oh, man, <laughs> it's really different, I think, compared to like, because, you know, I was currently residing in um in Dallas. So it's a it's a crazy transformation going from a small town to a big city. But, you know, the people in Georgetown were definitely just I think the best way to put it is like they're comfortable. You know, everyone's kind of used to their day to day life and their routines. And I think I've always felt like I was dreamt a little too big for, you know, everyone in my town. Everyone had like, you know, their black and white, you know, what they wanted and i was always kind of like oh i want something that's far out of reach from Different. what's here you know yeah. mm-hmm. and, and even the music scene there really wasn't a music scene there wasn't a lot of people making music out there um luckily i, f- I made friends at the time who were already like dabbling in into recording their own music and that's kind of how i got introduced to that and it just really went from there um as far as that you know i did enjoy it and you know i had its its perks as well you know i liked the school i went to you know the small town games are always like a little crazier than anything else. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it, it definitely had, um, like I said, it has a good and it's bad, but I'm at the end of the day, you know, I'm always going to put on for my little small town. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, did you, um, as far as like maybe like early on, cause I think you said that you started as like young as 15, right? Like really trying to get it serious yeah. as far as like rapping and like making music as far as that go, uh, being in, in such close proximity to Austin, uh, were you kind of like making trips, trying to like, like, kind of like put on as far as like, hey, I'm really trying to make it out here. I'm trying to like link up with other artists, other producers, you know, engineers, somebody to record me, something like that. Like, were you making like those trips back and forth between Georgetown and Austin? Oh, yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. So I actually ended up meeting this uh, engineer when I was 15. Uh, he goes by Christopher Locke. Uh, I worked with him for six, seven years. Um and I met him at the time. My sister was trying to help me find a studio to record at because I was just recording at home. And she ended up finding this studio called Sixth Street Studios in Austin. And he was working there at the time. So I ended up linking up with him. And then from there, like, I just enjoyed working with him a lot. And I was just back and forth, back and forth. And he was the only engineer I worked with for those six years. I maybe worked with one or two other engineers, but never quite like, you know, it never felt as natural as it did with him. And, you know, I ended up doing a bunch of um, open mics. I did one. The first place I ever did open mics at was this hookah bar that's no longer there. It got uh, knocked down. It was Forte Hookah Lounge. And I was performing there when I was like 17. I wasn't even allowed to be in there. But they would let me come in there and then I would have to leave right after I perform. (laughs) And I ended up meeting a good friend of mine um, that goes by Jell Omari. I met her and 
that's yeah that was like man that was probably in 20 i would say like 2014 and meeting her is what caused me to start you know meeting other um artists as well who had already been doing a lot in you know in the awesome scene so i started kind of like hanging around with her and meeting all these other artists that kind of you know, allowed me to network with them. And I started getting other opportunities to perform at other places. And that's how I started going to Scratch House a lot. I started meeting people who were throwing like weekly shows there. And I was just doing shows there. Unfortunately, that venue got um, closed down during COVID, which was really sad for a lot of people in Austin who've been doing stuff in the music scene. Um, but as far as that, you know, I was definitely doing a lot of uh, open mics, small shows, and then because of Jello, we eventually ended up making a drive out to Dallas. She got me booked for my first show out there. So in Austin, it was really just like, you know, I felt like that was like the baby steps, you know, of really learning and experiencing everything by like, you know, meeting the engineer and then doing open mics. And then when I moved to Dallas and everything just started happening a little different there. So I really feel like Dallas is where it's at. A lot oh, of people yeah. don't realize. And DFW, <laughs> and DFW in general, I feel like uh, most of the country sleeps on DFW for real, for real. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always tell people in Austin, like, man, y'all need to be taking what y'all are doing here to Dallas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. No, for sure. And is that where, so I guess once you were making like those constant trips up to here to the Dallas area, um, were you coming out to Fort Worth at that point or was it just Dallas specifically? No, it was just Dallas at the time. Um, it wasn't until I signed with Smooth because, uh, you know, he's obviously from Fort right. Worth. So yeah. once I signed to him, that's when I was making the trips to Fort Worth. So that was going to be my question. Like, did so was it through the constant like back and forth uh, to Dallas that Smooth kind of heard heard about you around around that area? Yeah, so he says that he's known about me for a minute. To be honest, I've known about Smooth since like I first uh, had signed to the um, to my prior management. Mm -hmm. um, they were actually the ones that were like telling me like, "Oh, like Smooth Vega, like you need to be on his radar," which is you know crazy because you know I would have never thought that he would be managing me. I just all I knew is I needed to make sure that he knew, he knew your was. name. Was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, so it was just you know he's someone who. I've been hearing about, you know, anyone who lives in DFW knows who he is, knows what he does. And, you know, when you're an upcoming artist, all you, you know, you know how important it is to introduce yourself and always network and, you know, to make sure like, you know, certain people know who you are. So it was really just like me trying to, you know, make sure that he knew who I was. And eventually, you know, he, he got a hold of what I was doing. Um, at the time, I wasn't really under any management. So he caught me at a good time. He started like really paying attention more to what I was posting on social media. I was definitely more consistent at the time. I was posting a bunch of freestyle videos and he, you know, ended up like just reaching out and telling me, hey, I want you to do this um, cover for my insight on my YouTube channel. And it, that was the first time I really like linked up with him and talked to him in person. And he was just telling me like, hey, I'm interested in uh, building this like management. I really like thinking about managing my first artist, and this and that. And it was just like a, he just touched on it a little bit at the time. And then eventually he had me coming back more consistently to, you know, do more things for him. And at some point he was like, you know what, like, let's just do it. And we had a lot of, you know, long conversations before we officially, you know, put it on paper. And he definitely presented to me that he was all in the same way that I was. And, it, and it's been nothing but like, <laughs> it's been crazy. It's since, been a whirlwind. You know, yeah, <laughs> for sure. He's definitely like, He's definitely someone who's like really helping make my dreams come reality. So yeah, I'm just thankful. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because you've been featured with like so many unbelievable people, like just <laughs> just in the festival that we went to alone. I mean, Baby Bash, and then you have all those other artists. It's like, I, I don't know. And I think that from the research that I was doing, I was listening back to a couple of interviews, and this has been going on all what within a past couple of months, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. It's wild. It's only been five months. Um, yeah. It's crazy to think everything that's happened because. I've been doing this for so long since I was 15 and within this five months, I feel like I've already done more than I ever did <laughs> since I was 15. So it's crazy. He's that's, definitely making a lot happen. That's what I wanted to go ahead and ask you is because you said that you started this from since you were 15 and now you're 24, right? And yeah. so I grew up in a small town too. So I know what it's like to be surrounded by people that want to do things on a different, like on a different level that you do not like a lower not like a higher level just on a different level right and yeah. so did you ever experience any guilt of sorts or any like feelings of being an outsider of you know living in a place that didn't think the way that you did definitely felt like what's the I think I just felt super like yeah I guess like an outsider because always like even my friends would get kind of annoyed by me because I was always mm -hmm. that person that, like, they would tell me they wanted to do something and be like, why aren't you doing it? Or, like, you know, mm. I've always been real big on, like, I don't want to grow up, like, wondering what if, you know, because I just want to grow up knowing that I at least tried and, you know, I got to see the outcome regardless of, you know, anything else. So it's definitely just felt, it was a little frustrating because I was definitely, like, at some point there were kids, you know, making fun of me because I was oh. like putting myself out there and I was, you know, Speaking the music out. wasn't yeah. at its peak back then, but I was definitely just like, at the time I didn't care for it. I didn't want anything out of it. I was just putting it out because that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> so, you know, there was just a lot of that. But even then, I think I always took it as like, I'm still doing something a lot of people wish they could. And that was what kept me going. The thought of that and just knowing that this is something I'm good at. And if I were to stick to it, like, only only like I can only see something good come out of it from continuing you know I like just my biggest thing is like the only way you're gonna get there is by not quitting mm -hmm. and that's just like been my mindset about it all and I've never really let what other people thought about what I wanted affect what I was doing because I knew at the end of the day like a lot of those people who had something to say back then aren't around now so that's like you know doesn't really matter what they had to think in the beginning. So, mm -hmm. and it's crazy because now I get a lot of love from my hometown. Like, it was recently. That's how it happens. Yeah. It all comes back around, right? Yeah. It's crazy for sure. I was at a oil, um, I was getting my oil change. Um, it's like down the street from this restaurant I used to work at. And when I pulled, I was just chilling on there and I was like on the phone with my manager. It was funny because he was on the phone with me. So he heard the whole thing. And some guy, he just comes up and he's like, He's like, wait, he's like, you're XB, right? And I started like, well, I just like that because I was in the waiting room. And I was like, yeah. And he he just he just gets excited, walks out and goes and tells another worker. Another worker had no idea who I was, but it was just crazy to see how excited he was. He comes back. He's like, can I please get a picture with you? And it was just crazy to me because I happened in my hometown and it was someone I didn't know. And I'm used to like, you know, you live in a small town, you know, everybody. Yeah. So that was, it was That's definitely crazy for me to like experience that in a place I'm from so that's definitely crazy yeah, absolutely and do you think that you got that confidence of you know just if you love something you're going to pursue it you know like forget what other people think you know and it's very hard to have that mentality in a small town because people talk 
you know mm-hmm. in fact people don't <laughs> shut up most of the time so um <laughs> do you feel like you got that mentality from growing up with uh so many brothers y primos because uh you had sisters right but they were significantly older than you yeah yeah so i got i man honestly i didn't really have a lot of cousins and i only had one brother and he was younger than me but i was always with my two cousins growing up and they were super like they didn't i was in a girl when i was around them they mm-hmm. treated me like i was any other you know kid with them like and i think that had a lot to do with like they would tell me things, you know, like they would like when you're young, y'all care about each other's feelings. Like we would hurt each other's feelings all the time. And it, it definitely like teaches you early on, like to have thick skin, you know. So not only that, like Hispanic parents be criticizing you at every move, you know. So, Girl. Like, <laughs> so oh, just you don't have to tell me twice. Shit. I grew <laughs> up with like two cousins and a brother. I'm right there with you. Actually, that's almost the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so for sure. Having that just teaches you like and even when my parents would tell me I still wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't listen. And that shows you like I never cared what anyone had to tell me. I was just at the end of the day, I was always gonna do what I wanted to do. And I and it was funny because my parents hated that about me. They're like, You're the type we tell you to do something, you're still gonna do what you, you want to do. The do. Opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, well yeah, that's what got me here. So <laughs> they can't be mad about it now. Kind of a touching on um your parents a little bit. Um so they're uh they're immigrants, like you kind of like said in interviews before. Um, yes. as far as how that goes, um, did they completely understand, like, kind of like your dreams and aspirations when it first started coming about? Like, cause that's, that's like this whole music, <laughs> this whole music thing, especially in the States, in Texas or anywhere in general, to try to explain that to like somebody who grew up in like Mexico or Salvador, you know, yeah, wherever to be like, like, yo, I'm finna do this, this music shit <laughs> and I'm finna do it seriously. Yeah. Like, like how was that like initial, like kind of like reaction like what i'm pretty sure it was kind of like mixed you know yeah definitely um they weren't very happy about it at first i mean i obviously it's been a hobby of mine since i was 15 so they knew that i was like liked doing it but they never took it serious until Mm -hmm. i got out of high school and i was supposed to go to college and i ended up deciding not to and that's when they were it took a different turn with them they're like oh this was supposed to just be something you did for fun now you're trying to like you know, pursue a whole career out of it. Like, it's not that easy. And I knew that. But in my pers- like in my mind, all I can think was, well, I can go to school and completely hate what I'm doing and then be miserable. <laughs> and then not only that, like, I'm going to be in this crazy debt. And it was either that route or I was like, I can do what I want to do and know I'm going to give it my all. And, of course, it's still going to cost money. You know, you're still an investment regardless. But the two, like, you know, one side I do want to do and the other side I don't. So it's just like I had to choose what made more sense for myself. And, you know, it got to a point where, like, it took a couple years. Honestly, it wasn't until, like, this year that they were more like, Supporting. okay, like, you're actually, like, really doing something, you know. And now I get phone calls from my dad. or He's just like, it's funny because my dad's not, he just got a phone that wasn't a flip phone, like, in the beginning <laughs> of last year. So now he has, like, a touchscreen phone and he just discovered, like, social media. So he'd be like, and it's funny because he just Googles my name. He says, I Google your name and then everything pops up. So he clicks on my Twitter and my Instagram. And does he think so it's he like the coolest up, thing ever? Yeah. Does he know your handle like that? He types, he doesn't type it. Yeah, he types though. in my name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because he just be like, yeah, I saw that you did this. But I don't really be telling them everything I do too much. They So he just be like going and seeing like, oh, I saw you did a show. And like, 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 like yeah, it's crazy. Because then like, it wasn't like that. I was performing at like warehouses with no AC type shit, you know, like 
it definitely went from that to like it's it's completely different now for sure and they see that now and it, and that feels good to me because out of anyone like i never care to prove anyone wrong other than that because mm-hmm. i so badly wanted to show them like i know y'all had a different idea of what success is for me but like i also have this idea for myself and to try to like prove to them that it was doable was so hard but like i finally did and that feeling was like finally <laughs> like it feels good you know so it's definitely dope and, and they like you know come out to the shows and it's dope you know that they really put in that effort you know they definitely want to show as much support as they can now so it means a lot i think if i recall some of your musical influences that you kind of touched on in uh other interviews that i've seen is um because one i think one of the first things that stuck out to me when i when i started hearing your music was just how much of an R&B sense a lot of your your beats that you were you know whether you be rapping or kind of like you know a mixture kind of like singing rapping um and I think you I think you said in one interview that you were really influenced by a lot of like the the 90s stuff like Drew Hill, Jodeci um yeah. and um I, uh forgive me but uh what was what were more of the uh the rapper influence if uh if you could say um, I did say like um but like um, I was definitely like more into like Lil Wayne, you know, like okay. Zero, uh, SPM, and then I also listened to like '90s hip hop. So I listened to like Big L, um, Tribe Called Quest, can't even think, <laughs> like Biggie, you know. So I was really big into both sides of it too. So yeah, I have I have definitely always felt like my my main like taste and or my main influence was from '90s R and B more than anything. Yeah. And was there? Was there anything outside of uh, music, like uh, whether it be like sports, uh, athletes, um, actors, entertainers that kind of like influenced you as like how you approach like your your craft, like as far as like constructing songs, the way you go about marketing, like were there any any outside influences like that? To be honest, I it's funny you ask that. I feel like no one's ever asked me this question. <laughs> um, but Puff, uh, Puff Daddy, I watched. Man, if you ever watch his "Don't Stop, Won't Stop" yeah. documentary, man, like. I got so like intrigued by the way he thinks about things. A lot of people are probably watching it like, man, this dude's an asshole. But like, <laughs> I saw it kind of like, man, that's why he's so damn successful. Like, there's just so much about him and the way he thinks. And I went back and started like really watching interviews from him when he was younger. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see like what got him to where he's at now. So I just watched a bunch of Puff videos from when like in his prime. Mm-hmm. When he was like, literally when he was just signed like Biggie and all them, like, and just hearing him talk and like, hearing the way he handles situations and I don't know I really just was I wanted to develop that same mindset and I just wanted to you know learn from him as much as I could so he's someone that I'm constantly like trying to learn from and like him back then and him now you know so I think Puff for sure oh yeah that's dope yeah yeah that is true how you can kind of like watch him and like really like misconstrued it you like look at it like (laughs) oh man he's just wilding out and every single but yeah I get it because it's like people like him um, I think uh, who the, I mean, I guess Suge Knight's a little bad example of like everything that happened <laughs> with him. But at, at the at the at his prime with Death Row and all that, you could definitely see like the machine that he was working and like all the artists that he was turning out with like Pac and Snoop and everybody else. And so speaking of that, I mean, obviously, I mean, no matter how people will look at you, like here in the new future when you blow up, uh, I mean, you are not an overnight success. You've been doing this for a long time. What does a day of rest look like for you? And what does a day of work look like for you? You know, before you got with Smooth, because, you know, Smooth, I guess at this point, and don't let me put words in your mouth, it's kind of like a motor. 
you know, like underneath you and like Lata is like, hey, you got to do this, 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 this. You That's know, exactly. Which is, exactly, which is a great thing to have. So I'm, I'm just so curious, like how you were motivated on days you really felt like working and days and how you rested on days that you really felt like resting on as someone that really had to do it all basically on her own up and up until that point. Well, to be honest, it was very difficult because <laughs> um, I was like I was a waitress for six years and I did work with my family. And, um, you know, it did get to a point where I was definitely prioritizing working more than I was like the music stuff. Mm. And that definitely got kind of like hard to balance. And I was also like you said, I was doing everything by myself. Like meeting smoothies definitely taken so much off of my hands. But Back then, I literally did it all. Like, I did my own cover art. I did my own photo shoots. I did my own music videos. I edited my own music videos. I edited my own, literally any type of freestyle video I post, I'd shoot. I edited it. Um, I did my own distribution. I recorded my own music. I mastered, mixed, and mastered all of it. Like, I did literally everything from, like, by myself. And doing that and also working was, like, the hardest thing to balance. But, like, a full work day for me, like, to be honest, would be I'd go to my regular job, I get off, and then I always had a studio set up of my own. So that was, you know, a plus. Luckily, I had that. So I was always able to record anytime I got home. So I'd get off of work, record. A lot of times I would record, you know, let's just say I got off of work at like five. I wouldn't, I'd stay up until like four. Like, you know, I was just trying to make the most of the time I did have to work on music. And then not only that, like, let's just say I had to work the next day and I wanted to shoot a music video. I would work after work. I would shoot a music video. I had to go to Dallas for any reason. There have been times I would work double shift, leave at nine o'clock at night to Dallas. You know, I would, I was constantly just like, I didn't, I never let the fact that I was working my normal job, like really like stop me from getting anything else done. Cause at the end of the day, like I really enjoyed doing it. I didn't care how tired I would be afterwards. And my rest days, I feel like I didn't have rest days, <laughs> to be honest. I think my rest days were like me just making time to do other things with other people. You know, that was just me hanging out with my friends or my family and stuff like that. But there was very few rest days. So, yeah. And now there's, there's, it's just like, <laughs> there's no rest days, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you sweet. feel like there's a bigger payoff, you know, like with, oh, every, yeah. with every day of work you put in. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely all, I really think it was all worth it. And, it. and I feel like I had to experience all that in order to appreciate everything that's happening now for sure. So this is all the, it all happened how it needed to happen. So do you have, uh, what are you currently working on as far as like just uh, the next few projects, you know, singles, whatever it may be? I mean, you know, I, I know sometimes it's kind of hard to talk about it because you want to keep things under wraps, but are there any <laughs> no, like uh, up and coming like, features or like people getting on on your stuff or you're getting on other people's stuff yeah i got um i actually got a song drop in october 1st featuring gt garza i'm really mm-hmm. excited about that one um after him i do have a, a bunch of other singles just kind of like we're you know we're still kind of like trying to sort out which one we want to drop next if we want to drop another feature if we want to just drop a song with just me all the way through because mm-hmm. i do have a bunch you know still just you know without features um but after that we do want to focus on a on an EP or an album, whatever it may be, whether it's just me without any features, because, you know, I felt like I've given people as many features. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, really the main focus, you know, just knock out the features I already have done, put them out. And then after that, definitely, you know, give everyone a project, you know, so but yeah, that's the, that's the plan as of now. 
Gotcha. And uh, I was actually, uh, I was in the gym this morning, uh, not a humble brag, uh, but and I was listening to your uh, album, Midnight Lane, and I have to tell you, I absolutely love it. And I know what my favorite track is, but I want to know what your favorite track was to work on out of all of them. Because it's a fairly short album. I think it's only about 26 minutes, but like it just, yeah. it from beginning to end, it was so smooth for me. It was such an easy uh-huh. listen. And, uh, I'm, I'm just really curious to know. That means a lot, by the way. I think that album means a lot to me just because, like, the period I wrote it in, you know. But um, my favorite song on there to work on was A Letter to Susie. Um, that one. That was my favorite track. That was my favorite <laughs> that track. One? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. crazy. I feel like that was, like, a lot of people's least favorite. But that one is because I, I had, that was the only song on there that I had recorded outside of the studio. I had, um, I had a really bad day that day. And I came back from Dallas and I like came back to my house and I was like, it was, I just remember it being super quiet. And I had a moment where I like just broke down and I was like, man, like I need to figure out how to like get this out in a better way. So I like remember just recording and it's funny because in the beginning I like talked briefly and I was like, I was actually like crying when I said that. And I, and only some people had like pointed it out, but, and I ended up just like, a lot of it was a freestyle that I ended up kind of like picking out, you know, and re-editing or whatever. But that that song was probably like the most like I've ever really like just poured everything out. And I don't know. I listen back to it sometimes and I'm just like and it trips me out to think how I felt in that moment when I first like wrote it. So I think that's why out of all the songs, that one's the one that always takes me back to a moment where I felt really weak. And I'm like, damn, like, I'm glad I was able to come out of that. And now I. Like, I can only listen back and be like, I'm glad I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, I <laughs> So I that. think that's why I like it. I love that. Um, and I, I think that's also partially why I was drawn to it is because it held so much emotion and I feel like I could sense it in the track. So yeah, no, definitely. Um, another thing that I was curious about, and I guess I really don't know how to form this question, but uh, <laughs> we had uh, interviewed Smooth a couple of weeks back, right? And uh, he was just, he was going on and on about how like, proud he was of you and how like excited he is for you about all the stuff coming up and stuff and he also mentioned about about you know how like how you grew up you know um overweight and stuff like that you know and uh, first of all I just I gotta tell you I relate okay I went through that journey too and he's always saying uh, and he said he's like I wish she would put more stuff out there as far as like her story you know not just you know of being a rapper and you know being a latina you know all of that stuff you know amazing but also like uh, i mean i tell people all the time is that we are all not all one things we're like fucking kaleidoscopes you know like so many different like edges (laughs) and like pieces to our story and so how do you feel that how you grew up impacted your journey as far as that goes I feel like it, it impacted it a lot, <laughs> to be honest. And I think it's not that I don't choose to speak about it. I think it's just a part of my life that I almost like forget about just because mm. it was like, and it was a long period of time too. You know, I was a, I was a chubby kid from like shit since I was like maybe seven years old all the way till I was like, honestly, I want to say like 19, 18. And that like, and I was in sports for a long time of like, you know, since I was a kid. But, you know, I, I definitely was that type of kid that whenever I was feeling really low, all I do was would eat. Emotional it, eating, bruh. Oh, yeah. my God. Same. Same. Those bad burritos that just call your name. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't help that my family, you know, like uh, my uncle owns a, a Mexican restaurant. It's the one I actually worked at. And, you know, 
we got free Mexican food. Like that was, it was, it was inevitable at that point. <laughs> so, but it definitely did take a toll on me as a kid. You know, I, I was bullied a lot because of it, you know, kids didn't make their remarks. Um, and it definitely like, and then me not knowing about my sexuality early on too, like it, it also confused me a little bit. Cause I didn't know, I didn't come out until I was 21. So for a long time, I thought, you know, that I was straight. So I always like that took a toll on me on the sense that I didn't really feel wanted at the time. Mm. And that also taught me how to like really give that love to myself more than anything. Girl, so I think dropping bars today. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. It's just man, that taught me so much. Like I went such a long time as a kid wanting to receive like that type of love and or like wanting to just feel wanted the way I was seeing other people around me. And, but as an adult, I'm glad I didn't get that because I see what it did to people who did get it. Now they can't live without it. And I'm at a point where I'm like, I can give that love to myself and I'm good, you know, like not, you know, I just, I really feel like it's important for people to get a chance to really be alone and to like understand themselves because you can't really like, give good healthy love to somebody unless you can give that to yourself first so that's something i learned from <laughs> being an overweight kid for so long was like at the end of the day if no one's gonna give you that love you gotta give it to yourself yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why i'm single mexicano yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> no, no, no comment whatever <laughs> no we love that we love that um so just to kind of like round out the interview and just kind of like end it like on a very just like random note uh, do you have a favorite uh just cartoon? Uh, by any chance? Specifically, do you have a favorite SpongeBob episode? That's what I really wanted to ask you. Ah, SpongeBob episode or just cartoon? Fan of SpongeBob as much. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, I can't really think, but I can tell you my favorite cartoon. I'm. I never. This is tough now that I think about it. <laughs> I want to say it was Scooby Doo, but I was always more into like cartoon movies because, mm-hmm. like, you know, um. But my favorite all time, like the movie I can watch over and over again, I had that bitch downloaded my phone. This doesn't even sound really funny, but it's Monster House. I don't know if y'all ever Monster seen it. Monster House, really? Yes, yeah, my yeah. little sister loves that. That's movie. my shit. <laughs> really? That's yeah, a, I don't know that's why a, I've always loved that's that. That's really movie. obscure. That's obscure as shit. That's I love a random it. one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it, that's my shit. I don't know what it is about it. I've always liked it. And anytime my nephews are like, you trying to watch this? Like, what you know about that? Hey, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. shit. Watch Monster House again. <laughs> That's crazy. No, that, yeah, that's something I wouldn't really expect, especially to have it on your phone, have that full movie on your phone. Yeah, that's pretty- I bought that on on the Apple movies. <laughs> I think I was like on a flight one time. I was about to go. I was like, man, I need to just download a movie on my phone. That'll be okay watching. And it, that was the first one that came to mind. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you have a, I think you have a show coming up at uh, in Hamilton uh, Theater, I think September 28th. Yeah, it's uh, my first headlining show. Shout out to Arrow Life Shows for putting this one together. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be headlining along with some really dope opening acts. You know, it's probably going to be, um, I'd like to say, one of the shows that I really feel like I'm going to have the freedom to, like, really give my all in. Because this, this is my first headlining show, so I get to, you know, perform longer and kind of take more control on what I want to do with the stage. So I'm really excited. So, yeah. September 28th, we're going to be in Halton City at the Halton Theater. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that about rounds us out. This was uh, XB Valentine, a local yeah. <laughs> rapper here from Fort Worth, going to do big things, big things. Uh, very, very excited. And uh, 
But yeah, thank y'all for having me. It means a lot. It was an honor to be on y'all's show. So thank y'all. Yeah, I appreciate absolutely. you. Thank you. We're back. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview with XB Valentine. Really dope. Really great person. Please check out her music. Uh, like she said in the interview, she will be uh, headlining her own show, uh, Halton Theater in Halton City, September 28th. Mm-hmm. So, first first topic we want to we wanna talk about is Hispanics and podcasts. So, we're going to get a little bit meta here. What, Riddle? Nothing. This was your, this was your segment idea. Yeah. I'm rolling with it. I'm being a good team sport. No, no, no. no. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, yeah, but yeah. I, I want to talk about, like, how, how, how many people do you think how many how many hispanics do you know like avidly listen to podcasts actually like avidly yeah to be honest with you like the only hispanics that i know that i regularly hang out with outside of my family would be probably you mexicano but that just might be because i'm antisocial possibly yeah yeah that that could be a thing but i will tell you that it's uh it's kind of ironic that you chose this topic of all things because i was literally having a conversation with my brother uh this weekend when i went home and he said, you know something I've gotten into, you know, that I never thought I'd get into? And I'm like, what, Bessie? And he says, you know, I think podcasts are pretty cool. You know, and I say this because like my brother, if you know him, he is probably the machoist, most alpha male country, Western Mexican cowboy you will ever meet in your life. So up until now, he always thought that podcasts were actually pretty lame. And I don't know if that's his uh, um, cowboy side or his Mexican boy side. To say. Well, I don't know. That's it's very interesting because I was actually reading an article. Let me bring it up right quick. So one stat that I found: so fifty percent of U.S. Latino monthly podcast listeners are actually men. Mm. And actually, struck like that kind of like hit like a, a core with me because I'm like I always assumed that like podcasts in general, I always felt more women listen to them than anything else. I don't know. It depends on the podcast that you're talking about, though. Like, is it true crime? Is it a hip hop podcast? Is it just in a very general self-help? sense? This is just a very general sense, obviously. This but thing. honestly, like that stat isn't even like super one way or the other. It's only fifty eight percent. Yeah, but then forty eight percent are aged eighteen to thirty four, mm-hmm. and then thirty five right. and then thirty five percent are Spanish language dominant. So, and a podcast that's specifically in Spanish. See, now that is surprising. How many Spanish-language podcasts do you follow, Mexicano, as a Mexican man? Like, specifically in Spanish? Yes. Are they talking Spanish? None. Really? Yeah. No, I don't huh. listen to any, any, any podcast where they specifically just speak Spanish the whole time. I have, like, two. But here it actually says 33% of U.S. Latinos say that they even listen to a podcast mostly in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Up from 24% in 2020. You know what that means. It's an open market. It, oh yeah. yeah, I mean we've we've talked about dabbling in a and possible more Spanglish, in a Spanish, Spanish only episode maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked of, about that. Yeah, but um, stay tuned. When did you first start listening? Like, what year was it? Kind of like when you started like becoming like an avid listener? Because I had always known about podcasts to an extent, probably as early as like maybe two thousand eight or nine. And I think the first podcast I ever heard of was Night Bell. No. 2008 or not? Oh, yeah, I forget. You're a geezer. Yeah. Jeez Louise. You too. What are you talking about? No, I mean in the sense of like, you the know, internet? things like, yeah, in oh. the sense of the internet. Oh, what? what? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But um, Night Vale, that mm. was the first one I ever heard of. And that was like eight or nine, eight or nine, nine or ten, two down, nine, two down, ten. That's probably the first time I ever heard about like podcasts and what they were and like what people were doing with them and like at first i didn't really understand the medium i was just like so it's radio this is uh you know it was like i was trying to like i was trying to relate it back to things that were already 
pretty mainstream and available. Yeah. I'm just well, like, I mean, I was always really passionate about radio and audio since I was like 13, 12 years old, but I didn't actually know what the fuck a podcast was. Sorry, uh, for YouTube, what the mess a podcast was mm-hmm. um, until like maybe 2015, 2016. It's uh, funny because actually a friend of mine from the Navy, he he introduced me and his brother to it's like uh, actually it was brilliant idiots, you know, with Charlemagne and Schultz and mm-hmm. all of them. He's like, man, you have to start listening to these things called podcasts and like Gary V and all of that, you know. But uh, that that was my first kind of introduction to it. And then I remember seeing you and Isaiah like start one up in college right around that same time. Yeah. And I just felt like it was like the universe's way of saying it's like, hey, audio is the way to go. Like, you know. Yeah. And now I feel like everybody and their mom has at least one podcast that they listen to, Mexican or not. Yeah. And I think that was about around, around the same time I really started diving deep with around 15, 14, 15 mm-hmm. was the first time I ever like realized, oh, this is like something that's like really blowing up and like catching on fire, essentially. Like people are they, like every single day, every single week, these things are springing out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this person has a podcast, this celebrity has a podcast. And that's where like it kind of like and really. Now, do, you, do you really think that like now having a podcast is the equivalent to like what having your own YouTube channel was in like 2012? Um. I feel like it's getting there. Yeah, somewhat. I feel like it's almost like I don't really want to relate to like like a rapper, uh, but almost in a sense of like like everybody's a rapper when because the rapper thing really took off in like the that piff era in my opinion, like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. So with that, when you were so easily accessible. readily accessible to put your music on mm-hmm. the internet, SoundCloud rapper. Yeah, even before SoundCloud, like I said, this is 2009, 2010, this is that Piff era, this is live mixtapes. Uh, I feel like that's where it feels like now, where it's like every single week you get on that Piff, every single week, week you get on live mixtape, you're going to see this new artist that you never heard of, but they're promoting the hell out of him because they probably paid their, they paid their way to get on the front page. But because podcasts are a little bit more, the entry level is not as high, I guess, as far as like promotion, stuff like that. Un, uh, and it's not really... I don't know, podcasts are weird because it's not, like, so much, like, gatekeepers, like, trying to keep you out, but it is saturated in the sense where it is very hard to to rise to the top. I don't know. All I know is that at the end of the day, my mom still doesn't listen to podcasts, so there's that, and I'm sure that if I, like, what we were talking about with XV, you know, as far as, you know, how she had to tell her parents that she wanted to be a rapper and them trying to understand that, if I try to tell my mommy Caro right now, my papa Nin, that I do podcasts, they, they just wouldn't know. I mean, yeah, you, you, you've heard me tell you yeah. how I explain, like, podcasts to my mom. And, like, mm-hmm. literally all I said was, like, oh, I record things and we talk about certain things and we upload it and just think of it like radio. That's the, mm-hmm. li- that's the easiest way I explain it to her. I'm see, like, just think of it like radio. Said, what is she, how, how did she respond to that? She just, you're like, what oh, okay. Dad, what did he say? Just like, she's like, oh, just don't be talking about bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. usually all no it is. No maliciones, mijo. Yeah, that's usually all it is. Just don't be talking about like, like bad and nasty stuff. And I'm like, all right, see. cool. Uh, so, yeah. So, Hispanic listening to podcasts are still up on the rise and I don't know, it, it's going to get to a point where Everybody is gonna know about Who we podcasts. Are. Uh, maybe, hopefully, yeah. you know, yeah. Hopefully, if, if the trends keep keep going up, people will definitely start tuning into us eventually. And yeah, who knows? We'll probably be bigger, hopefully, than we already are. So my next topic is talking about the relationship that Hispanics have with our with our favorite little bitty critters, whether that be a gato, 
a perro, uh, an iguana, un, un perique. What Mexican in the world do you know that has, a, has an iguana that hasn't mm. fried it up and there's, eaten there's it and a lot of it There's a lot of iguanas in Mexico. I'm pretty sure there's one that's kept it as a pet. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure they're all taquitos by now, but mm, whatever. No. I've eaten iguanas, so I can say what they I taste know. like. Uh, chicken, by the way. Uh, but I'm pretty sure there's somebody out there with like a little bitty salamander. Uh, just something out there, you know. Anyway, this is a segment about uh, Mexican people and their pets. Yes. So, I kind of want to know, like, has the relationship between pets and Mexican Hispanic people, just to be more general, uh, Latinos? Because I know, obviously, there's, like, people who love their pets. But there's always been, like, this almost, like, cutoff point where it's, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you as, a, as an animal are not getting past this threshold kind of thing. And because of who you are, you're not, you know, you hear it all because the time. Because you are not human. Yeah, because you're not human, you're not going to live, you're not going to come inside the house ever. Mm. Um, we'll keep you chained up probably for most of the day. If you run away, that's whatever kind of thing. Like, we're not going to go look for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it sounds bad on the service level, mm-hmm. obviously. Some of it is very cold and detached view of, like, what it's like to have a mascota in your, I mean, outside of your house let alone like actually inside the house like uh, hispanics some hispanics that have an animal inside the house is like one of the grossest things that you can do i have family members that are like that when i told uh because like you know all kids in the world they they all they all want like a puppy or whatever growing up right and so you sit there and you beg your parents for one and if by the off chance like they say yes you know that dog is going to stay outside you know, and you have all these daydreams of like from all these like white sitcoms that you've seen on TV shows where, you know, you have Comet from Full House running around inside the house getting into shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just sighing. They're like, ah, I wish I could have an animal in the house, too. A beautiful golden retriever. I'm, t- I'm telling you, I used to fantasize about that shit when I was in bed when I was eight years old. I'm like, I would love a, like a little dog inside the house. But, you know, why would we ever keep a mugroso yeah. around? So. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting because, like you see, like the like the TV shows, right? Like the fantasy is we're like, oh, we're gonna go to <laughs> we're go, we're gonna go to the shelter. We're gonna find the perfect pet for you. When the majority of times, especially with Hispanic people, it's literally like, oh, look, look at that dog on the street. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> Put it in the backyard. Yeah. Pretty much. Here, uh, like mom, like do we have dog food? No, why would we have dog food? Here, just give it this chicken bone. Yeah, oh, I was going to say bologna. Remember? Yeah, bologna yeah. or hard-boiled eggs. That or like just bone yeah. that you have in the trash. Like, here, give it this chicken bone. Mm-hmm. And then here, give it the like, uh, we, like, water. We oh, we gave those animals a tough, tough life. Nobody ever... Nobody ever t- now, I do feel like nowadays, you know, in our more awakened culture mm-hmm. of sorts, uh, I do feel like even the Hispanic community is a little more softer and frou-frou and holistic. For the better. Yeah, for the better, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, the way that we did keep, like, uh, I mean, I remember plenty of, like, doggos, unfortunately, you know, being changed to, like, trees and, like, a doghouse and, like, a, a, a tin of water, you know. And, like, that's all that they had in my backyard for, like, the or, like, my grandparents' yard for the longest time. And that's not okay, you know, but that's just like our old school ways of like doing things. And again, just like a lot of other old school ways that us Mexicanos or us Hispanics have done things in the past, that doesn't necessarily mean it's right. So like you said, it's for the better. Bro, like <laughs> I, this is going to be my last point. And uh-huh. then we can move on to the last segment. I had this friend, I'm not going to say who they are, where they lived. If they ever listen to this, hopefully not. 
but I helped them. Their dog passed away, right? And it was sad. Do I know this friend? No, you don't. Oh, okay. This, this, the, their dog passed away. It was a female dog. And uh, when the dog was dead, you could see like this weird, like yellow liquid coming from his mouth eating listening to this mexicano you don't know that quit quit making assumptions oh my i would be i would cry right anyway and instead of giving this dog a proper burial we literally put this dog in a giant hefty bag and threw it inside the trash can in living spanglish does not promote the improper burying of animals i was like 11 or 12 by the way um if if my brothers are listening to this you know probably who and and what I'm talking about, because <laughs> I think one of them was there for sure when we did this. But it was horrible when I. It was horrible then, and when I think about it now, I'm like mortified. I'm like Jesus Christ, what were we doing? Opinions going... are of Ricardo Mexicano, Ricardo Mexicano. Alone. This ain't no opinion. These are facts. <laughs> this this stuff happened. We threw a dog in the trash can. Mm, all right. It was dead, of course, but still, like we could have buried the dog. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess. You know. So, Hispanic people, I'm glad y'all are treating your pets a lot better than... We love to see it, bruh. Yeah, yeah, then I... I, I never treated and my Frankie dog... Loves to see it. Well, I'm not going to say I never treated my dog bad. I, I did some things that I probably shouldn't have. How our parents also treated the dog especially bad. Uh, I can only imagine, Jesus. But, you know, we're doing good. We're doing right by our mascotas, doing right by our pets. So, you know, let's keep it up. You know, it's a, it's a good trend upwards to, uh, to happy living. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right. Our last segment for today is going to be good looking out. You know it, you love it. This is where we go ahead and we tell you what we have been into lately as far as music, movies, TV shows, the like. So this week, I actually fell into this show uh, kind of sort of by accident. Um, I was uh, doing some work on the computer and I just sort of needed background noise. And, you know, as you do, sometimes when you... Netflix has that new feature i don't know if anybody um knows about it it's like on the right hand uh, on the left hand side they have like this like squiggly line and they and it says play something so it literally if you click on that it literally just chooses something i guess based off of the netflix's algo that it would assume that you like right so i just press that for it to be on the background and the show that came on was a show by the name of sex education so uh, this is a uh, TV series that I believe pre- premiered in uh, 2019, and it is a British teen comedy drama created by Laurie Nunn. So basically it just centers around uh, this boy named Otis Milburn, and he you know, goes to middle school, he's super insecure, and uh, is insecure about the fact that you know he cannot... Um, pleasure himself so to speak and you know in the privacy of his own home and to make it all the more awkward is that his mom also happens to be a sex therapist sex is not a bad word on youtube is it no no okay so his mom happens to be a sex therapist so they have a very interesting relationship where she is like abrasively open not only about her sex life but also about you know like communication about like his budding years with you know um exploring his sexuality and all of this that and the other and of course you have storylines with uh, with basically he comes in contact with like the cool girl from school and they decide to open up a sex therapy of sorts with um for their fellow students who are having sex problems of their own you know with their relationships and things like that and not only the reason that I ended up loving the show is not only is it smart and super witty, um, 
and yes, to me, as an almost 30-year-old, it can be weird to see people, even actors that portray teenagers, like, having sex and being naked. Like, it just, like, throws me off now. And I don't know if that makes me, like, 80 years old or whatever. But I feel it, it's incredibly insightful. And it's very, very emotionally intelligent. And I feel like there were episodes where both I laughed and it made me think a whole lot. And one of the things that I really love the most, I would have to say, is definitely uh, Otis's relationship to his mom and how and how important these talks are and how important it is for things to be normalized. Because I know, I mean, uh, for myself, I was, I was very, very late bloomer when it comes to not just sex, but just like everything in the knowledge of sex and in the realm of sex and everything growing up. So it's good for me to see that, you know, uh, of course, if you just said that, like the teenagers of age or whatever, that they're able to watch shows like this and know that sex is a normal thing and talking about things around sex, like, um, like STDs and the emotional things that come with it. And all of that is all very, very, are all conversations to be had. So, I mean, all that serious they package all that seriousness in a bunch of british hilarity so i love it i adore it uh i give it a solid eight out of ten veronica stars netflix yeah i, I did like some of uh the little clips and well not not clips but just some parts of the episode yeah you're walking past the tv yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, i was sitting down here at, at some point watching it oh. uh yeah it, it seemed pretty entertaining so i'll definitely uh maybe catch it when you have it on again mm-hmm. <laughs> and watch it then but yeah it does look uh like a really promising show so for me, uh, I want to touch on a show that I've had on my watch list for a while now, uh, but it wasn't until the Emmy, the Emmys, which was this past Sunday, uh, premiered, and they touched on this show, and they actually ended up winning seven awards. Uh, and I'm not someone who usually looks for validation in TV shows or music for the most part. Yeah, you're obnoxiously hipster. But mm-hmm. this one got a lot of awards. I'm like. All right, I've had it on my radar for a while. I had it on my watch list. I know I want to watch it. And when I kind of saw the awards it won, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll finally watch it. And I decided to sit down today and watch it. And the show with uh, Ted Lasso. And I've had like coworkers and, and various people tell me about the show. Um, Sounds so familiar. Yeah, I was literally just watching it uh, when you got home earlier today. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's what you were hearing, uh, Blair over the speaker. Um, so... Uh, I decided to finally sit down, watch it. Concept hilarious. A football coach who recently won a championship for uh, the for the for the college team that he was uh, coaching uh, gets hired to coach a soccer team over in England. And just that basic premise already like just made me laugh. But just kind of like the the quick witty humor that uh that um oh, God why am I drawing a blank right now on the actor uh jason jason i want to say jason statham but i'm like of course not jason statham that's freaking the transporter uh jason sudeikis uh the the humor the the super country southern accent that he brings to his character ted lasso uh is amazing and i can only imagine i literally just watched the pilot and i can only imagine the the how the storyline is going to develop from here on out so super brief i know but i just saw the first episode and i fell in love with it so I can't wait to keep watching it. I know season two just premiered like maybe a couple months ago. And I think they're still airing the episode. So, and I think season one only has like nine episodes. So you can get through them pretty quick. I know I will. Um, so. How many Ricardo Sarsen? Just on the pilot, like 8.5. Wow. Yeah. 
Okay, all right. Well, that was our good looking out, uh, Mi Hinde, and that also wraps up um, one episode three. No, two. Episode two of the In Living Spanglish podcast. If you stuck with us for this long, just know we love ya, we love ya, we love ya, and we out. You think I can get XP's numbers and we can become best friends? Maybe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think she dug me. I think she thought I was cool. Yeah, you were a little cringy, but okay. (laughs) My hope is that you see how Spanglish has closed the gap and formed a synergistic approach for communication. Thank you.